0: Well, church, you have a seat. Again, I am so thankful that you're here uh, to worship with us this morning. I thought that was wonderful. I love the song Abide. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I love that song, just the prayer that it is and the way that we can celebrate how Christ does call us near. And it's so funny because we're going to be seeing that uh, actually unfold, the beginning of that unfold uh, as we go through Matthew today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn them to uh, Matthew 3. We will be in Matthew 3 picking up where we left off at Christmas time. If you have not been with us since Christmas Eve, uh, we had service on Christmas Eve. If you have not been with us, uh, we took kind of a step and fast forwarded through Matthew all the way to Matthew 16, cast vision for the year. Uh, The vision for the year is that we want everybody to be praying and seeking out one person, sharing the gospel with them, and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And understand that you're not the one that's going to do that. The Holy Spirit will work through you and accomplish that work, and so it does not depend on you, but rather it depends on you abiding in the Holy Spirit, and so praise God for that. That is what we are focusing on as a church this year, Uh, but we are picking up in Matthew 3 where we left off at Christmas time. Last week, we were at ID downtown, and Ricky preached out of Nehemiah. Uh, where ID Downtown is actually going through in their scripture, and it was a wonderful service teaching us how to pray, how to humble ourselves before the Father, which is so fitting, again, for what we are focusing on as a church. I encourage you, uh, if you did not go to church last week, if you were not here, go listen to the message. It's on their podcast, the same way we post things. You can look on Spotify. I don't think it's on Apple Podcasts. Is it on Apple Podcasts? I don't think it is. It's on Spotify. I know that for certain. So uh, If you don't have Spotify... I'm sorry we don't have anything for you, so um, you can go listen to someone else's voice for a little while, I guess, if you would like. But um, I highly suggest that you do that. Even more important, though, take a moment and go read the first chapter of Nehemiah. Read the prayer. Read the prayer of Nehemiah as he pours his, out, his heart out to the Father and asks for the Father to move not only in him but through the people, through, through his power. Not Nehemiah's power, but the Father's power. Go take time this week and read through it. I would highly encourage it. It would be great for you. Uh, But we are in a series this year, all of this year, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. And so we are picking up, like I've said, back up where uh, we left off on Christmas Eve. We are going to go through Matthew piece by piece. We are not going to go chapters at a time because there's so much to unpack in Matthew. There's so much to go through. There's so much uh, detail. There's so many stories. There's so many things to celebrate. And so we're going to take it kind of one portion at a time. Um, truthfully, my plan is to be in Matthew 16 by the end of the year, if that gives you any idea. Uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount alone is going to take forever, but it's going to be wonderful. I'm so excited about going through Matthew with this church, uh, with you guys, and just seeing how Christ moves through it. Um, we might be in Matthew for like two and a half years, the same we were, same way we were with Genesis, if you remember that, or Exodus. Uh, Bobby's over here shaking his head because Bobby remembers how wonderful that was, right? It was wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. Uh, so a um, little bit of background. Matthew, uh, is a gospel written by Matthew. Good job. It's written by Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector, was a tax collector. Jesus came upon Matthew sitting in his booth, and he called Matthew out to follow him, and Matthew could not believe that Jesus was calling him. His disciples could not believe that Jesus was calling a tax collector. Of all people, a tax collector, tax collectors, they were hated hated amongst the Jewish community, and the thing that made it worse for Matthew is that Matthew was both a Jew and a tax collector, and for a tax collector to be a Jew, it meant that he was rejecting his society, it meant that he was rejecting his God, it meant, it meant that he was rejecting everything, and it was completely uh, dishonoring his family. Everything about this situation, Matthew being a disciple of Christ, is amazing, because what Jesus is saying when he starts and he calls Matthew out, and Matthew records all these things, it's like, you're not too far gone. You're not too broken, you're not too distant, you haven't made too many wrong decisions. Matthew being a disciple, recording these accounts, it's an amazing thing. And so the, the context of Matthew, Matthew being a tax collector, an ex-tax collector after he started following Jesus, and being a disciple, he wrote this gospel to Jewish men and women so that they could understand who Jesus was in their context. You hear all the time about church ministries and this, that, and the other saying, we want to reach We want to reach people in their context. When we look at the scriptures, they are written to people in specific contexts. And so when ministry is doing that, they're just modeling what the scriptures have already done. We want to reach people in the American context. We want to reach people in the Spartanburg context. Matthew sought to reach the Jewish people in their context. Whether this was specifically in Jerusalem, wherever, we're not entirely sure. I'm sure that this uh, record of the gospel account most likely traveled from church to church. Um, but Matthew records this, and his aim was to help the Jewish people understand that Jesus is and was and forever will be the Messiah. And so as we go through this gospel for the entire year, you're going to hear me, you're going to hear Tyler, you're going to hear Corey, you're going to hear Nick Napier, you're going to hear Jonathan, you're going to hear all of us. You're going to hear, sometimes I just like, how many more names do I have to say? You're going to hear all of us preach through and explain this. You're going to hear all of us preach through and explain this because it's important. Whenever we read scripture, we have to understand what it meant to the original audience before we can apply it to ourselves. Because if we don't do that, if we don't remember what it meant to the original audience, we take it out of context. And that's how you get things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how, that's how you get that on football players. Like, it's great, it's true, but just because Jesus said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, doesn't mean that you can go and deck a dude in the football field. Like that doesn't—that's not what that means. That it just means that no, no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, the tribulation, you can do everything through Christ. And so we have to make sure that we understand it. Okay, I'm not going to get on a rant. Anyways, we're going to be in Matthew three today, as I have said about five times. We're going to start in verse one, and we are going to be going all the way until verse twelve. So we are going to be specifically looking at the story of John the Baptist this morning, Uh, and so. We're going to do something different. This is something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart, uh, not just because I've seen other people do it, but I want you guys to stand and we're going to read the word together. Here's why we stand and read the word together, too. I used to think that this was just a pure Southern Baptist tradition, but why do we think it's okay that we can sit while we're reading the authoritative word of the Lord? Should we not stand in reverence of it? And so we stand to revere the authority of the Lord's word. And so as we read, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you have your Bibles, read with me. John 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he was the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and food, his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Broad of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able, <clears throat> God is able to raise up children from, for Abraham from these stones. The axe is ready at the root of the tree. So, Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff will burn with fire that never goes out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this invitation. This morning for this holy moment to stand before your word to stand before who you are and just give you all the praise Give you all the honor give you all the glory for for all that you have done for all that you are God We just give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that you have saved us from our sin God that we can come before you and confess that we can come before you and repent that we can come before you Because you have come near to us. Your kingdom has come near to us God, we give you all the praise and the glory for that because we cannot accomplish that work. We cannot do that. No power of man can accomplish such a thing. We cannot help people conquer their sin. We cannot help people conquer death. We cannot help people conquer anything. You can. You alone do that work. Heavenly Father, we are sinful and broken, dark people. We are in darkness if we are not in you. Our identity is sin if we are not in you. In you we find light, we become light, we are uh, entangled in darkness if we are not in you. And so Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that the power of your Spirit moves through the reading of your Word, through the teaching of your Word, through the uh, evangelizing of your Word, and it, it, it pierces our heart and changes our heart and leads us to repentance, leads us closer and nearer to you. If there's anyone here who is wrestling with sin in their life, God, I pray that your Word convicts them And I pray that they see their sin clearly and that they want to confess it because they understand how holy and good you are and how in need they are of you. Heavenly Father, if there's no one here, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, does not have a relationship with you, I pray that your word moves and that they come to understand who you are. We just give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So change is a funny thing. Raise your hand if you enjoy change. <laughs> Tyler, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't agree with that. For real, raise your hand. How many of you enjoy change? Like, actually enjoy change? Cat? Okay. So let's think about this. How many of you enjoy the changing of the seasons? Raise your hand. Yeah, which ones? Not winter. Not from fall to winter. Right now, we're not enjoying it, but you best know September's going to roll around this, this, this year, and we're going to be like, I'm ready for Christmas. No, you're not, because it's going to be cold again. How many of you enjoy, uh, like, what, what's something else? Like, changing jobs. How many of you enjoy that? It's not always fun. Let's see. How many of you enjoy getting a new pair of shoes and having a new pair of shoes that you can, you can change out for your old ones? Yeah, that's right. What about changes in gas prices? How many of you enjoy that? Yeah, when they go down, that's right. We enjoy that. Change is a funny thing because there are times that we enjoy it and there's times that we don't. There's times that we embrace change and we are so excited for change, like when it goes from spring to summer, we're so excited for warmer weather until it gets to be 102. Don't go to to Columbia, South Carolina when it's 102 because it'll really be like 115, but we all embrace and we love change in moments, and we all dislike, we, we tend to hate change when it affects the way our life works. We don't, we don't love when it wrecks our plans. We don't love when it affects uh, the things that we want to do in life. We don't love when, uh, like, for instance, me and Sir Grace, we wanted to have our kitchen redone this last year, but we were hoping that we were going to be able to take some of the money from our tax refund and some money that we had saved up. We didn't get our tax refund until December, and so it was kind of like, well that idea went out the went out the window that wasn't going to happen. And so like that was a change for us cuz we were so excited about getting this done, and we were pretty upset when our plans got wrecked. Change is a really really funny thing. So, I brought this with me today. Does anybody know what this is? It's not a bible. my grandpa's phone book (laughs) you're close actually that's the funny thing so I've told you guys stories about my great-grandmother it's very interesting my dad just so happened to have this and show it to me this is my great-grandfather's ledger from a uh, town store that he owned in Townville this is from 1906 when he owned a store in Townville My great-grandfather probably had no idea that I would ever be holding this standing on stage in front of a group of people. And so to be honest, he'd probably be embarrassed about the condition that it's in. But it is wild when you open this. I'm going to open it. I'm going to move my Bible. I'm going to open this. Not add to my notes. And I'm just going to read the price of something out of here. Let me find something. If I can read his cursive handwriting. Red meat. 50 pounds, 39 cents a pound. He paid $19.50 for 50 pounds of meat. Think about that. That sounds pretty amazing. Barry's over there like, please give me those prices. Like, I'll, I'll cook us up something nice. Let's see, what else can I find? Man, that's some really nice cursive handwriting. Hmm... Me and my dad were looking through it, assorted cards. He ordered 300 of the assorted cards, and it cost $3. Those are like greeting cards, cards that you could write to people. So it's interesting to see when we look back at something from a long time ago and see how much things have changed. And we're all probably sitting here thinking, man, I'd really love for those prices to be back. Like We were looking through here, and we saw how uh, he paid like $5 for like 50 pounds of flour. Like, just an insane, an insane change has happened over the course of 100 years, 120 years, really. And he would have probably probably never believed how much things would cost now. And I don't know how much he ended up selling things for, but this whole book, it holds a history, and it shows us how much things have changed. We don't always enjoy change, but change happens, and we can't do anything about it. We have to learn to embrace change you see, when, we're, when we look at Matthew chapter 3, we will see one thing specifically, that there is a necessity for change. There is a necessity for change in our life. We are sinful people, broken people in need of a Savior, and the change that we need is to repent. The change that we need is to change our mind and, and focus it towards the Lord and not on the world, not the things that the world calls us to. But rather focusing it on Christ, embracing the change, carrying the change, even though it's heavy, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, taking it under your arm and carrying it with you and understanding that this change, it's good. I'm not saying that these prices, prices now suck, but but the change that we have, the change that Christ has called us to, it's good. The cost is heavy. Leaving behind the world, leaving behind the circumstances, the things that you desire, it's hard. Sacrificing, it's hard. But it's good. And so as we go through Matthew chapter 3, as we go through Matthew chapter 3 today, I just want you to remember there is a necessity for change. We're going to go verse by verse. Uh, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, just open them back up to John or Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So it says, In those days, pause. These days would be about 30 years after the birth story of Christ. And so, fast forward from Matthew chapter 2, 30 years, and now we're back at the right time. So in those days, again, Rome is still in Jerusalem. They have control of Jerusalem. We still are seeing the Roman authority all throughout Jerusalem and Israel. In those days, though, Matthew says, John the Baptist, Baptist, baptizer, however you would like to call, came preaching, heralding, proclaiming in the wilderness of Judea. The wilderness of Judea, that would have been right on the edge of Israel, right next to the Jordan River. It's not like in the exact same location that Joshua, the crossing of the Israelites into the promised land would have happened, but it would have probably been close. So this is like right on the edge of Israel, right next to the Jordan River. And John, uh, John is saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John is proclaiming, he, he is saying, he, the one focus of his message. He, just didn't, he didn't just like walk around and just continuously say that. No, John, that was almost the thesis of his message. That was the point of his message. That was what people, that's what they were taking away from it. That's what they were learning from it, that they needed to repent For the kingdom of heaven had come near. The word repent, it means to change your mind. (coughs) It means to change your mind. It means to change your focus. It means to turn away from. If you'd really like to get in detail, if you'd really like to know the detailed definition, it means to completely change your orientation from one direction to another so that you are no longer facing where you were facing but rather looking in a new direction. Repentance is leaving behind what you were focused on and focusing on a new thing. Focused on something new. Focused on a change in your life. And so John is crying out. He is is saying, repent, change. He's telling all these people in the wilderness, change. But The question is, why? Why would John be saying this? He could have said anything else. He could have been teaching anything else. But he cries out this one word. Well, he tells us, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what did he mean? Did he mean that like a literal like city floating in the sky had like come down and was like just like chilling right there? No, that's not what he meant. What he meant is that someone had come. You see, the kingdom of heaven, whenever we see it throughout Scripture, the kingdom of heaven is often referred to as the Lord's kingdom. Matthew specifically uses the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of the Lord or the kingdom of Yahweh or the kingdom of God because the Jewish people did not believe that they were worthy enough to say kingdom of God or kingdom of Yahweh. And so he uses kingdom of heaven, again, alluding to the kingdom of the Lord. And so he's saying the kingdom of the Lord had come. Well, how could the kingdom of the Lord have come? We're going to get to that. In verse 3 it says, For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You see, Matthew in this verse, he is showing us, and he's giving us a glimpse into the identity of John the Baptist. He's told us what John the Baptist came out and was saying, what he was proclaiming and why he was proclaiming it, that the kingdom of heaven that, that, that Jesus had come near, and now he's showing us who, who, who this guy was that was just randomly crying out in, in the wilderness. Remember that this is a Jewish audience, so they would have probably remembered John the Baptist. Some of them, depending on their age, would have probably remembered this happening because of the amount of people that came out to the wilderness, and we'll see that in just a little while. But it says that he was a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a scripture that is quoted out of Isaiah. It is quoted out of Isaiah to remind the people of hope. Remind the people of the calming hope that was going to happen and how God promised that he would send before the Messiah, Elijah. Now, in Isaiah, it refers and it's speaking and alluding to Elijah, but it does not literally mean Elijah. It is figuratively speaking to Elijah, one like Elijah, one who would perform and be just like Elijah, not literally Elijah. And it's funny because when you look at Matthew 16, what did they say? Who did some of the people believe that Jesus was? Elijah. Some people really thought that Elijah was coming back in in bodily form, but he was not. It was a figurative sense that God would send another prophet similar to Isaiah to prepare the way, to make a way. What did that mean, to prepare a way? It meant that he was going to come and preach the same message that Christ was going to preach, that the Messiah was going to preach and proclaim it to the people so that he could prepare the hearts of man that are sinful and broken and distant from the Lord, to receive the encouragement from Christ, the hope from Christ. So John comes out into the wilderness, and he's, in verse 4, it tells us, Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and he had food, and his food was locust and wild honey. This is simply telling us that Matthew wanted his audience, wanted the Jewish people to know that John the Baptist was no spectacle. This man did not care what he had on. He did not care what he was eating. He still ate what was good enough for him to survive, but he was not concerned about his appearance. He was not concerned about what his audience would think of him. He was only concerned with the message that he was preaching. He was only concerned with making straight the pathway of the Lord. He was only concerned with the call that his Lord had given him. You see, this little identity of John, it's actually alluded to in Luke 1. If you would like to go and look, I highly encourage you. But the prophet speaks to John's, uh, John's father, Zechariah, and tells his father exactly what John would do. And this identity, this thing that John is focusing on and John is doing, it is the exact thing that was prophesied about him. And so John knew what his identity was. It wasn't in what he was doing, but rather what his father had called him to do in the grace and mercy that he had to com- proclaim and live in. But Matthew here, he's given us a glimpse into who John is and how John was living out the, the, uh, the prophecy that was given of him. And so the whole reason that Matthew starts this chapter and starts the story of Jesus this way is because he's trying to tell the people, again, that there's a necessity for change. And that change is repentance. Repentance because the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, repentance, it is the way of life in Christ. Repentance is the way of life in Christ. There is no way to get around it. There's no way to avoid it. It is the way of life. Change is the way of life in Christ. No matter what we 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 hold on to, no matter what we think it might be, if it's not changed, you're not right. If you think it's anything other than change, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't understand it. Because we need to change from our sin. We need to change from our brokenness. We need to change from the darkness that holds us captive. Not because we have to do it to earn anything from God, but because the best thing that we can do is repent. The best thing that we can do is change. The best thing that we can do is lean in to Christ and let him change us and let him work in us. Let him lead us. Changes, it's a hard thing. It's a difficult thing. But it is the way of life in Christ. It is a response to our sin and the revelation of his holiness. When we choose repentance, when we choose to respond to the message of repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near, we have become aware of our sin. We have become aware of how broken and in need we are, how much darkness tangles us up, how much our emotions weigh us down. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have felt overwhelmed this week? How many of you have felt overwhelmed by the things going on in your life, by the circumstances that you're having to navigate right now, by the darkness that continues to consume you that you feel like you can't get away from? the one sin in your life you just feel like, the one bad thing, as the world might call it, that, that you, just, you feel that like you've got to get away from because it continues to lead you into more brokenness and more brokenness and more brokenness. That's what Christ wants to help change in your life. The grace and the mercy of Jesus, the love and the embrace of Jesus, it does and it will change those things. I've seen it work out. I've seen it move in so many people. I've seen men who did nothing but sleep with women change and say, I am not living that life anymore, but rather I'm going to live and I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to completely separate myself from that lifestyle and I'm going to focus on living a life worthy of the calling that Christ has called me to and then they get married and they have a family and they're committed to that one woman. I've seen men that have been addicted to porn completely change their mindset, completely change their mindset on how they view women. I've seen women that believed practically nothing of themselves and offered themselves to anyone that they anyone that they desired completely leave that life behind. That is the change that the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ can offer. And that's why Jesus came, so that he could offer that to every single one of us. Yes, it is a weighty change. It is a heavy change. It is difficult to hold. It is difficult to carry. It is difficult to navigate sometimes. But the change is necessary because it honors and it glorifies our Father. And that is the purpose of our existence. That is the purpose of who we are, is to honor and glorify our Father, not live in the identity of sin. Because the identity of sin, it constantly leads us back and back and further and further into darkness until we are further and further away from him. Even though we're not really further away from him. Satan likes to make us think that we're further away from him. But the way of repentance, the way living in repentance, repentance, it is the way of life in Christ. Think about the woman at the well in John chapter 5. What did the woman at the well do in John chapter 5 when she realized that Jesus was the Messiah? she left her jar at the well she left behind the one thing that she came to do and she ran into town in the middle of the day and confronted all these people who did nothing but judge her and did nothing but slander her that did nothing but look down on her probably wouldn't even speak to her at times and that she wanted to avoid and she went and told them who jesus was that's repentance that's change that's carrying the burden That's carrying the burden, understanding, yes, I understand that my past is heavy, I understand, but I don't have to carry it anymore because Christ has changed me. Christ has changed me. I am changed because I know that the Messiah has come. I know that he has come to save me. I know that he has come to bring me out of darkness. I know that he has come to separate me from sin. I know that he has come to do everything that he has promised to do that his word says. I know that there is a necessity for change, and I am willing to live in it. I am willing to carry it. I am willing to walk in it. There is a necessity for change. Think about, again, the way that John was living. Consider where he was. Where was John living in this moment when he was proclaiming this? The wilderness. We don't know exactly what this wilderness looked like, but most likely where Judea is, it was barren. The only source of water probably was the Jordan, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Jordan River in a picture, but it's usually pretty brown and pretty muddy, so it's not the cleanest water source. And according to what he ate... He really didn't have access to that much food. Consider where John was. He was willing to take up up the change. He was willing to live the change. He was willing to carry it and understand that it was of more benefit than anything else. Living according to the world was not going to benefit him. It was going to be heavier than anything else. Consider where John was. Consider why he was there again. What was the mission of John? Why did John come to the wilderness? Somebody say it out. Why Why did John go to the wilderness? Starts with a P preach. There you go. Yeah, to herald the message. He went out proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching that the kingdom of heaven had come near. That's the gospel, just so you know. He went out. Consider why he was there, and then consider what John had. It didn't say that John had a stage. It didn't say that John had uh, the most amazing hair. It didn't say that John had the most amazing sandals on. Chances are he may not have even had any. It just depends. But he just had fur To wear to keep him warm, a belt to keep it together so that it didn't fall off of him, because that was necessary back then, Uh, and then the food that he could find. John was not concerned about the change that he was having to embrace, leaving behind society and living out in the wilderness to proclaim the gospel and invite other people to be baptized, to repent. He was not concerned about that. There was no concern for the people's perception in John. But the only perception that he cared about was the Lord, the one who controlled his heart. And it's really funny. Y'all know I love Spurgeon. I saw this quote from Spurgeon regarding this portion of Scripture. And he's, Spurgeon would constantly pray this in front of his congregation especially towards the end of his life when he became very very sick and he struggled to preach every week and he struggled to be present for his church and as he passed off responsibilities Spurgeon would pray this he said Lord let not my meat my drink or my garments hinder me in thy work how amazing is that how encouraging is that that we should even pray let not the food that I eat let not the things that I I try to buy, let not anything that is uh, circumstantial or of of tangibility affect the way that I serve you, Lord. That's what Spurgeon was saying. That's what John is living out. He's saying, I don't care about the change. I don't care about how I need to change. I don't care about how my life needs to change. All I care about is living in repentance, living in carrying repentance, and living under Christ because it is the best thing for me. Even though it gets difficult to carry at times. Even though it's hard to carry at times. I will live in it. So let's look at verse 5. It says, Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him. Now, this might sound like it's just normal, but it's not. John was out there preaching repent. He was preaching change. He was uh, preaching that they needed to change their orientation and turn away from their sinful, dark life and live and embrace the coming kingdom. He was preaching this, and it might sound normal for uh, people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan uh, to come out to him, but it wasn't. And the reason why is in verse 6, it says, and they were baptized by them in the Jordan, confessing their sins. You see, baptism was not normal in the Jewish custom. Baptism was actually something that was normal when a Gentile wanted to become a Jew. It was a practice that was performed by the Gentiles, okay, to help them become a Jew. Help them uh, get the name of a Jew, I should say. They were confessing that they believed that Yahweh was God, that he he was their Lord. And so through the act of baptism, through the ceremonial act of baptism, it represented their repentance. Leaving behind their Gentile life and being raised into the life of being one of God's children. And it's interesting because we do the same thing. That's how we do that. We're going to celebrate that here in a little while. Hopefully this water's still hot. But we're going to celebrate the same thing in a little while, that we are helping other people, that Christ is helping other people be buried in their old life and be raised into a new life. But again, it wasn't common for a Jew to respond and to do such a thing because the Jews believed that they were saved through their heritage. They were saved through the law. By keeping the law, by going to the temple, offering the sacrifices, doing those things, they believed that their salvation, that their repentance, that their change, it came through all those things. Their atonement came through all those things. And so for the Jews to go out to a river and to be baptized, it meant that they were renouncing all of that. Now that sounds sketchy at first, but it's not. The reason that it's not is because they are confessing their sins. They are confessing. That no heritage, no family line, not even the law, could save them. The only thing that could save them was the coming Messiah. They they knew that only the Messiah could save them. They knew that only the Savior could save them. Only the one that would deliver them from sin and darkness, that would only deliver them from death, that would only deliver them from evil, could possibly save them. They knew the limitations of the law, and they were saying, we are confessing that we are sinful and broken people. We are confessing that we are broken people, and we are in need of change. We need to change the way that we're living, and we need to carry the burden of understanding that we are sinful and we are broken, but we are living under the authority of the Messiah when he comes. We know that he's coming, and we are anticipating his coming. We are celebrating that he is coming, and we are listening to this message that John is preaching. And we will live in the change. We will live in repentance. We will live in the confession of our sin and our disobedience and the darkness that we live in until he comes and he redeems us. You see, this act of baptism, it didn't save the people, but rather it was them acknowledging. It was, again, Fulfilling what John was called to do, to make the path straight. People coming and acknowledging their sin, that makes the path straight. When we acknowledge our sin before Christ, when we acknowledge not sins, the reason that the S is on the end of this word is because there was a multitude of people. Because there is a multitude of people, they were confessing their sins. There is a multitude of people, a multitude of sins. Yes, we all sin multiple, countless times a day. But you don't need to go to the Lord and say, God, I did this, 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 this. It is important that you confess things. But what's most important is, are you going before the Lord and confessing and saying, God, I know that I am a sinful, broken person. I'm messed up. But I am choosing you. I am choosing your authority. I am choosing your goodness. And I know that you you have cleansed me. I know that you have saved me. And so for the people to go out there and to stress this, They're acknowledging their past. They're they're casting judgment on their own past. And they are embracing the life of Christ. They are embracing the life in Christ that he has offered them. Consider Ephesians 5, 8. Just before Ephesians 5, uh, 14, if you would like to go and look at it, you can, where it says that, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Let let the light of Christ shine upon you. Just before Paul says that, in, in verse 8, He says that if you are in Christ, you are no longer in darkness, but you are living in light. So walk in the light, live in the light, live in repentance, live in the change that you have embraced. Walk in this. Don't live in the past that you lived. Don't continue to live the way that you said that you lived. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, if you claim to know Christ and you continue to live the way that you did before you met Christ, you didn't really meet Christ because he didn't change you. When you meet Christ, he changes you. He stirs you. He calls you closer. He wants, and he, the way that He moves in your life, it leads you to change. Yes, I know that some circumstances in your life can be harder. The bondage can be very difficult to get out of. But there is nothing that the Holy Spirit cannot loosen in your life. There is nothing that He cannot do in your life. He can do anything. Guess what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's right. Come on. And even think about Colossians 2, 6-7, where it says that you need to be rooted and built up, firmly established in your faith, and overflowing. Where does that all come from? Where does that all come from? The way that you met Christ. Paul tells the Colossian church, despite all the false teachers that were showing up in the church, do not let them persuade you. Do not let them change your mind, but continue in repentance. Continue to remember that is is Lord and that He has authority and that the change that He calls you to is the change that will change you. It will lead you. Paul is encouraging the church through that. Repentance, it is the acknowledgement. It is when we acknowledge and we judge our past. It does not mean that we judge the people in our past, but rather we judge the, the decisions and the things that we made, the way that sin led us away from Christ. And then we turn and embrace life in and with Christ. So that means... You leave this behind, you do a full 180, and you embrace Christ. You carry the change with you as you're walking with Christ. You acknowledge and you judge your past and you embrace life with Christ. In verse 7 it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the, uh, the religious and political leaders in the Jewish society. And so these religious and these political leaders in the society were coming out to this baptism, and it's a big deal that they actually are coming out. That means that John was attracting a multitude. That means that John was attracting a big crowd through this message. That meant that most likely people were leaving from the wilderness and going back into the city and proclaiming the same thing that John was doing. John was making disciples that were going to make disciples. Does that sound familiar? I hope so. So these Pharisees and these Sadducees were coming out to the baptism and they said to him, or I'm sorry, he said to them, broad of vipers. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked up what that means, but he's literally saying spawn of Satan. He looked at these men and he said, spawn of Satan. I don't know about you guys, but if somebody ever looked at me and said that, I'd probably punch him in the face, like dead serious. Like, and I'm not the kind of guy that would fight. I probably shouldn't say that, but that's, pretty, that's a pretty mean comment for the religious leaders. Like, John was not afraid to call it how he saw it. He looked at these men, and he said, spawn of Satan. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that Satan's not actually a name? I was sharing this with Justin and Ashley this week. Did you know that Satan's not actually a name? I actually did some research on this, and I found it very, very intriguing. Me and Jonathan uh, and Tyler all kind of found this out together. Um, don't trust everything that you read on Instagram, but sometimes stuff is true. So, did you know that Satan's not actually a name? Satan is actually just a term that means the enemy. It's just a term that means the enemy. means one separated from the Father. And so when he's calling this, these people, spawn of Satan, he's calling them spawn of the enemy. He's calling them men of the enemy, men of sin. Men who are living in sin, disobedience and it's very significant because these were the men that were supposed to be leading all of Israel. These were the men that were supposed to be leading all of Israel in the law. He looks at them and he says this and he says, "Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath?" Again, I told you, it's most likely disciples that John was making and they were going into the town back to where they were proclaiming the same message that John had proclaimed to them. And he looks at them after that he says that and he says, Because you have heard this, therefore, because of this, it's a transition word, produce fruit consistent with repentance. He looks at them and he says, the life that you're living does not bear any fruit of change. There is no proof of change in your life. You are not carrying any proof of changing because of who the Father is. Imagine if someone were to come and tell you that. I don't know about you, but I'd be wrecked. I'd be wrecked. Honestly, I might have an anxiety attack if somebody said that to me. I wouldn't know what to think. John, in all boldness, stands in the face of these leaders who could have had him and eventually do have him killed and told them, You're living in sin. And you're causing everyone else to live in sin. You've not repented. You've not changed. You proclaim to be the the men that are leading people closer to Yahweh and leading people through the law. But you're you're not actually doing it. You've continued to live as if you don't know anything about who Yahweh is. You don't know anything about who your heavenly father is. And how interesting is it for us? We constantly go around and say, well, that person hasn't changed. They go to church every week, but that person hasn't changed one bit. How many of you ever thought that? I know I have. I might be a pastor, but I'm just as sinful and broken as you. We've all thought those things. We've all thought those things of ourselves. We've all had those thoughts come into our head where it's like, man, I haven't changed one bit. Yes, you have. I'll be the first one to tell you that you have because I've seen all, every single one of you grow and change. John looks at these men and he, he tells them this. He says, therefore, produce fruit that's consistent with uh, repentance. He says, and don't presume to say to yourself, we're going to come back to what that fruit is. Don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. What he's saying is, like, your heritage does not save you. Being children of Abraham, it does not save you. It does not make a difference in your life who your mama or your daddy is, who your grandmama or your granddaddy, it does not make a, di- a difference. It does not matter. What matters is, do you live in the change that God has called you to, that God has made a way for? You see, the Israelites, yes, they had the law, but the law revealed to them how sinful and broken they are. Paul tells us that through Romans. Paul tells us that through several of his letters, how, how broken the law was and how it did not work out and how it did not do anything but show the man and the woman that they were sinful, broken people in need of a Savior. And so when John says this, He is saying that their heritage does not save them. So what is the fruit of repentance? If your heritage does not save you, the external things of this life does not save you, what is the fruit of repentance? It's repentance in your heart. You see, repentance, it is an internal change. It is not external. Repentance is not external. It is not something that happens on the outside of you. It does not mean that you change the way that you dress. It does not mean that you change the way that you talk. You change the way that you walk. It is all internal. And And when you change internally, when you understand and your heart beats for the Father, your heart beats for sharing the gospel, your heart beats for believing and confessing Christ with your life, however you walk, wherever you walk, wherever you go, whenever you go, it will lead to the external change. Think about Deuteronomy 6-5, the Shema prayer. Believe in your heart that God is who he says he is. Believe in your heart. It starts there. It's the same way that Jesus talks about the great commandment. It all starts with the heart. It does not start with your outward appearance. It starts with the inward posture of your own heart. What's the posture of your heart, church? Does, your, does the posture of your heart lean on repentance? Does it, does, it, does it show the change that you're carrying the change of your life? Or are you constantly putting the change down? And leaving it behind so that you can do what you want to do. Because that's not life with Christ. Leaving the change behind, that's not life with Christ. Life with Christ is carrying and enjoying repentance. I've said it before, but it's, it's embracing, understanding that it's heavy and that it's hard. That's the cost of discipleship. That's the cost of following Christ. But as we follow Christ, here's what you need to understand. This burden gets lighter. I've been holding this the majority of the time and now it's not as quite, quite as heavy as it was when I first picked it up. You know why? Because I've gotten used to carrying it. I've gotten used to the burden. What does Christ say about his burden? Does anybody know? That his burden is light. Right. The burden of following Christ, it is light. It's hard sometimes, but it's light, church. And when John says this to the people, when he says this to these leaders, he's saying produce fruit consistent with repentance. He's saying you need to change your heart. You need to change your heart. He says in verse 10, the axe is ready at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What he is saying is those who do not repent will not live in an eternal relationship with their father, but rather be separated from their father eternally. This is our eternal destiny. To live eternally with our Father or to live eternally separated from our Father. If we do not embrace the change, if we do not carry the change, carry the burden of change and live in the change and accept the change, the good change, how good this is for us. That we do not have to live in sin and darkness, but rather we get to live in the light that is Christ. We will live eternally separated from our Father if we do not embrace it. But if we embrace it, we live forever with our Heavenly Father. We live live with and for and and by Christ. In verse 11, John continues, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Again, it was just a representation. This is not the baptism that we necessarily uh, practice, but rather it is a foreshadowing of the baptism that we practice today. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me, the Messiah, he he is more powerful than I. John knew his place as a leader proclaiming the gospel. He knew his place. He knew he was no greater, no different than everyone else around him. He understood his place. He understood his role in all the situation. He knew that he was not the most powerful man, but rather he knew that Jesus, his cousin, if you didn't know that Jesus and John were cousins, He knew that his cousin was more powerful than him and would come and save all of man. He says, I am not worthy to remove his sandals. You have to understand that sandals were probably the most dirty thing that men had back then. They didn't have 18 pairs of shoes like Tyler. (laughs) They didn't have that. They didn't have 18 hoodies like Corey. They didn't have five vests like me. They didn't have those things. They didn't have a multitude of things. They had typically like one pair of clothes, like a tunic, a belt, and a pair of sandals. That was it. If they got lucky, they had two. And so John is saying, I'm not worthy to even untie the dirtiest part of his clothing. John's saying, I am dirtier than anything else that he possesses. I am, I am so much, I am so unworthy. John knew his place. John reveals to us our place, that we are unworthy before Christ, but Christ has made us worthy through his coming. He says, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, don't understand, understand this. It is a figurative sense. Yes, we see that in Acts, that tongues of fire descend upon the apostles. But John is not saying that everybody's going to have a tongue of fire descend upon. them. I don't know about you, but I've never seen that happen. Has anybody in here seen that happen? That's what I thought. All right. So he's not saying that tongues of fire are going to descend upon you. But rather what he's saying is that through the power of the Holy Spirit that does come into you when you confess Christ and you believe Christ and you repent of all of your sin, and you don't live in the sin anymore, but rather embrace Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you, and through that there is a passion, a fire that burns inside of you for the advancement of his mission, the advancement of his gospel, the advancement of every man and woman embracing the change that Christ has called us to, the change of leaving behind sin and embracing life in Christ. That is that fire that John is saying, he will baptize you, he will consume you with this passion. He says his winning shovel is in his hand, that's what they would use to harvest things and move things a long time ago. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather wheat into his barn. That is fruit. That is a a form of produce, if you don't know. He's saying that he will gather all of that which produces into his household, into his barn, and it will be his. But anything that does not produce fruit, he will clear. And it says, but the chaff, again, that does not produce anything he will burn with fire that never goes out eternal separation that's just an illusion an figurative language for eternal separation from the father so john is going on this whole rant before the people he is preaching this message before the people and he goes on this rant before the pharisees and the sadducees and uses them as an example to exemplify that there is a necessity for change in our life There is a a necessity for change in our life. You see, Matthew, he was telling his audience that John came heralding one thing. Repent. The time to turn is now. The time to change is now. He He came saying, reorient yourself and turn to your Father in heaven. Understand that you are sinful and you are broken and that your Heavenly Father is holy and good. Now, what does this mean to us? What does this scripture mean to us, church? Well, have you fled your old life? Or are you still living in your, in your old life? Do you still live in the sin of your past? Are you still sleeping with those guys? I'm not condemning you, because I'm just as broken as you. I struggle just as much as you. I've known Jesus for eight years. It took me a long time to leave behind my old life. I had to move cities. It helped a lot. I'm just as broken as you guys. But have you left behind your old life? What about the way that you talk about people when they're not around? What about the gossip that you continue to stir? Gossip is just as big a sin as murder is. Because your words are more powerful than any physical action you could ever make. They have the ability to give life or to cause death. You know, Scripture says that, right? And so the gossip that you stir, the, the, the way that you speak negatively of those people, what, have you left that behind? What about the things that you continue to look at on the Internet? Have you left that life behind? You have to consider the two groups that are in these stories, or in this story. The people that leave behind everything that they are told by the world that saves them. They leave behind everything in this world that they thought would save them to go and respond to this message and prepare their hearts for the coming Messiah. And then there's the Pharisees who come out and are pretty much faking and showboating before the people wanting to look like they support, but they really don't. So, I guess the real question is are you actually carrying this or are you faking it? Because it's a hard question to ask. It's a real hard question to ask sometimes. But we have to be real with ourselves. We have to be real with ourselves, church. We have to be real and ask are we actually living in the change that Christ has called us to? Or do I leave on Sunday and go about my life as if I did every other day of the week and Sunday is the only day that I act like a Christian? Because if Sunday is the only day that you act like a Christian, guess what? You're not a Christian. And then the last question that I just want to ask you guys. This kind of ties into what we have oriented ourselves. how we as a church have repented from the way that we we're last year and we are leaning in and changing for the new year. Do you see the need for repentance in other people? I don't mean like you see their sin and you're like, yeah, that person needs to change. Like, no. Are you broken? Like, does your heart break for somebody? To understand that, man, the wave of this world, it does not have to be on them the anxiety that you're living in, you don't have to live in it. Like, they don't have to live in it. And Christ is giving you the freedom. Christ is giving you the life, the words, the, the spirit, to speak that into their life. He has given you that. Do we feel a burden to tell people, hey, Christ has come so that you can change, so that you don't have to live the way that you think you have to live, but rather you can embrace christ because he is a heavenly father that is good he is everlasting church there is a necessity for change there is a necessity for change in our hearts. there is a necessity for change in our minds and if you're sitting here and you're saying i don't know if i can figure out what i need to change i just need to tell you you really need to meditate on it because there is always a need for change in our life there is always a need for change in our life it may be as simple as saying not being lazy, but rather choosing to get up and read this in Or, turning off the TV and prioritizing time with your father at night before you go to bed. Some people are evening people, some people are morning people. But choosing to prioritize other things over your father. That's sin. Now, don't let the shame of sin consume you. Don't let it shackle you. But rather understand that Christ has set you free and he has given you freedom and you are meant to live in that freedom. That is the freedom that comes with repentance. But rather what I want our church to understand is that we all need to change. We all need to repent. There is something in our life that we need to repent of. Have you left behind your old life? Or are there still remnants of it? Is there still debris in your life from your old life? If there is, while we're worshiping you, I just want to encourage you. You can come up here and pray. We'll pray over you. But I want to invite anyone to come up to the front and pray. Not because it's a spectacle. You can go to the back and stand on the back wall. I don't care. But I just want to offer you a chance. And I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to really think of how do I need to change this week. Christ calls me to change. He calls me to repentance. There is a necessity for change in my life. How do I need to change? How do I need to reorder myself? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never confessed Christ and you feel like you're being consumed by sin, you're being consumed by the darkness, you're being consumed by everything else and you know that you need to change, you need to turn and accept Christ and live with Christ, obediently submit to who he is and how he is calling you. Please come and talk to me. Come and talk to me this morning because it is nothing, there is nothing sweeter than having those conversations with people and helping them come to faith in Christ. I don't do it. The Holy Spirit works it out. But I need you to understand that your Heavenly Father loves you. He is not disappointed in you. He is not concerned with your past. He has already atoned for it. He has already given you grace and mercy and covered it. You just need to accept it by faith and faith alone, not by any work that you could accomplish. Repentance is not a work, but rather it is fruit of faith. So, have you fled your old life? Do you see this need in others? As we worship, we're going to contemplate those things, but I highly encourage you. I highly encourage you, as we're singing, come to the front and pray. If you need someone to pray with you, walk up to them and just ask them to pray for you as an open invitation. You can walk up to me. If you need to confess something this morning, if you have a sin that you need to confess, a sin that you've been living in and you know that it's a sin, come and confess it. You can come and talk to me. You can talk to Tyler. You can talk to Jonathan. Sarah Grace. Well, never mind. She'll be up here. Never mind. Don't talk to Sarah Grace. You can't ask Any of the ladies in the room. Lauren. McKaylee. Like You can talk to us. Brittany. We are a family we should act like it. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this change that you have invited us into. Thank you so much for the way that you are leading us into this change, the way that you are ushering us into this change, the way that you heralded through John the Baptist this whole idea of how we can embrace it. We are so thankful for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us, and the way that you have just invited us in. I pray in this moment that you would burden our hearts to confess, confess the things that are going on inside of our life, confess the brokenness, the sin that is in our life and ask to invade it, to change it, lead us to repent, lead us in repentance, make this time a time of confession, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves and powers if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray that your spirit stirs their heart to come and have a conversation. It is in your name we pray. Amen. That's worship. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.